The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program Afternoons with Mike on The Shepherd. I had a wonderful time this morning. I was able to, on this Thursday, to take a tour of the Grace Medical Home And it was given to me by the executive director, Stephanie Garris. And I had such a great time with my mobile microphone walking through the hallways and then sitting down with Stephanie in her office, downtown Orlando, right on Concord Street, to find out about this wonderful ministry. So I'm going to go right now to that interview on location from Grace Medical Home. What a privilege it is to be back with Stephanie Garris. We were talking prior to our starting this interview, Stephanie, that it was January 30th of 2020. Now, that was like the preview. We were hearing about COVID back in that day. I don't think any of us had any idea at that point in time just how significant this was going to be. But you are with Grace Medical Home, and you guys opened up actually a few months earlier than when you were with me. So you were already kind of seeing some things develop, uh, but I'm sure you would agree, you had no idea what was going to be happening, right? Absolutely. We, you know, who could have foreseen just the tremendous impact? And you're right, we had just moved into our new building um, in September of 2019. Grace Medical Home actually opened back in 2010. So we already had a sizable patient population, about 1,300 unduplicated patients, and we were simply out of space. Our model of care were a comprehensive medical practice for the low-income uninsured. Our model, um, we have employed physicians who serve as medical directors or staff providers, and then we supplement with volunteers. We have more than 500 clinical volunteers, um, and our mission is to provide the highest quality medical care to those in our community who need it most, um, and modeling Jesus's you know, call to care for our neighbors and to love each other. So with 500 clinical volunteers, now not all of them are in-house. Some of our volunteers see patients in their practice, but we were simply out of space. Um, And so moving, going from a 5,500 square foot facility to 19,000 square feet was an incredible blessing. Mm -hmm. And who knew um, that six months later, uh, COVID could hit? I mean, when we talked, you know, two months before, the world fell out from under us. You know, we, um, I was sharing how excited we were to be in our new building, onboarding more volunteers. And two months later, we had to send our volunteers home um, because of high risk due to age. Most of our uh, clinical volunteers are retired. And um, yeah, the world's looked very different since Mm -hmm. that time. It really does. And you know, when you talk about that time frame, and it was going to unfold just within months in other states. And we've all heard the horror stories of, of the medical facilities, like even some nursing homes, but other medical facilities in the state of New York that were seeing massive, just ravaging uh, sickness and death. 
and, and some of it seemingly unnecessarily so, because I, I think a lot of this was just unprecedented, and people didn't know how, and we know that there were some other issues, political issues, that kind of got in the way of all of that. But when uh, you look back now, I mean, it is truly the hand of God that led you guys to be able to so efficiently uh, make that move. And uh, you had told me about even a preparation for doing telehealth. And that was something that you were preparing uh, way before we even knew that there was going to be a lockdown, right? Yeah, it's truly incredible. It really is, you know, God's provision and God's hand. Um, In 2018, when we were renovating our building, Mayor Demings toured the the facility, and it was still under construction. We were converting it from an accounting office to a medical office building, which was no easy feat because um, we ha- we added dental, so we have beautiful four oh, operatories. Yeah. But to to add all the plumbing, to have dental services and and whatnot, um, it was just a madhouse. And so when Mayor Demings toured. He was really impressed, and um, we didn't have support from the county previously. And he said, you know, I'd like to support your organization. And so it took a while. You have to enter into county contracts. And I started talking with the mayor's um, health staff who, you know, what are some of his priorities? And he said telehealth. And so that took time. We had to hire staff to coordinate and schedule the telehealth appointments. We had to find the platform. We had to make sure it could talk to our electronic medical records. Um, And can you believe that we went live with our telehealth platform and had it fully funded in March, on March 1st, 2020. And so we never closed, we never closed our doors. Um, It got close um, if we, for, we didn't have PPE. um, And so we would have to put the word out that we needed PPE and the hospitals were incredible. So it came close. Uh, with things like that, but we never closed our doors. Some appointments went to just telehealth, but patients came in the whole time, and um, we're so grateful for that. You know, this whole uh, concept of grace is so different from traditional health care, from traditional mindset of even a, f- a medical facility that it, it is kind of almost unique. I'm, I don't know how many other models like this exist around the country, but how did all of this, how did it come about? What what brought about Grace Medical? Yeah, so um, we have our, our pediatric medical director is a physician. He was in private practice, and he would go on medical mission trips to other countries, and then in his own private practice, he, he would lose patients, and he, he never understood why, because he's a fantastic pediatrician, and it was because their insurance status changed. Maybe they Mm. lost their job. Um, They were no longer coming for well checks because of insurance status or cost barriers, and it really put on his heart. He knew the need in this community um, for a segment of the population, 180,000 to be exact, just in Orange County, who are low-income and uninsured. And so he started talking with other community leaders, um, and they planned and researched and looked at existing resources and and you're right they found that the true gap was that comprehensive medical practice really for chronically ill patients and so that medical home model is exactly that it's a medical home meaning the primary care provider um, manages all of the referrals we have 35 on-site specialty clinics 
all through volunteers who come here. So imagine going to your doctor's office and your PCP saying, you know, I need a consult with a cardiologist. Why don't you come back next week? Our volunteer cardiologist will be here. Um, You know, mental health counseling, dental, gynecology, orthopedics. I mean, it goes on and on. 35 on-site medical specialty clinics for that comprehensive whole patient care. So we're really proud of our health outcomes and the patients we serve. They're very complex. Um, 60% of my patients live below 100% of the federal poverty level, which for a family of four, um, for 100% of poverty is about $25,000 a year. So yeah, they come here and they get incredible care. What a wonderful service it is to give to those like that. I mean, it is truly uh, not uh, every day that you see a facility like this be run so beautifully. And, uh, you know, we're sitting right now in your office inside this wonderful facility, and it's located so close to downtown. It's really, I'm sure, that a lot of people are surprised how accessible, how easy it is to get here, and just the amazing presence that you're bringing this neighborhood on Concord right here in downtown Orlando. It is really a beautiful place, and you guys have done a wonderful job. I had a question. I did want to find out from you exactly. We know now the lockdown happened not long after you got in, just a couple of months, September 19. You're moving into this facility. Uh, On March 1st, you go telehealth. And then somewhere later in that same month of March of 2020, the order for the two-week lockdown and kind of sending everybody home to flatten the curve order was given. And we all know that that uh, kind of had more than its 15 minutes of fame, didn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was it was terrible. So how? what are the ways that COVID and all of the protocols have changed your organization? Yeah, so we were essential services, healthcare is. So um, our clinical staff still came in. Now some of our staff worked remotely and um, helped do clinical projects from home because they were high risk. But um, so, yeah, for some, their COVID experience in other industries is vastly different because I came to work every day and was here supporting the team. Um, I would say the impact on our patients was profound. Um, Our patients are the working uninsured. And for two-thirds of our family, the economic impact of COVID severely restricted their household income. So, you know, our patients work in construction, um, housekeeping, janitorial, Mm. tourism, retail, um, the service industry, tourism. And so the economic impact was profound. Um, Thankfully, our staff, um, we did have COVID in our staff, but none of them required hospitalizations or things like that. But um, we lost some volunteers who just decided they didn't want to be in the field of yeah. medicine any longer. Um, they gave up their license, so it did bottleneck us for a while. Um, but thankfully, our patients, um, you know, they're, the majority of them have been vaccinated. They, they're, um, you know, obviously still getting sick, like many in our community, but, um, you know, we haven't seen severe illness of our patients. So I would say economically, emotionally, in that time, our mental health counseling, we, like I said, we have on-site mental health counselors, all volunteers. Um, 
about a third of, excuse me, a quarter of our patients pre-pandemic sought mental health services, and now it's a, quarter, uh, it's a third. So it's, it's quite a jump mm-hmm. um, in just two years of the percentage of our patients. So went from 25% to you know, a third, 30, 33, 34%. So a large increase in that. And then lastly, I would say the impact on my staff um, and our volunteers, but mostly our staff, our clinicians, there, there's a high burnout. You know, COVID took a really hard toll on the healthcare industry. Um, the politicization that you said, you know, is very disheartening um, from our doctors and nurses that just want to serve patients. So I'm still dealing with just a lot of burnout and um, anxiety of our staff. Do you feel that even with, uh, with the state of things today regarding COVID, do, do you are you seeing what would be a return to whatever that uh, this phrase became very popular, the new normal? Uh, are you seeing a new normal now develop that will be one day able to give us the privilege to say we are post-COVID? Um, you know, I think that the, that there are certain things, you know, mask wearing. I'm traveling next week with my family. I, I know that the mandates lifted for airplanes, but I'll probably still wear it. I mean, I do think we've seen some habits that are probably good and some awareness on, um, you know, positive things people can do to prevent illness. I'm, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm very worried about the anxiety that exists. Um, You know, I have school-age kids. My youngest just graduated from high school yesterday, and the impact on them and the impact on kids with remote learning is, you know, heavy on my heart. But, um, you know, what's neat about Grace is we practice medicine in a very relationship-based manner, which is exactly what our patients have never had. Um, They come on average to Grace 13 times a year, and they remain patients um, for two years on average. Some have been patients for 10 years. We have a lot of housekeepers, for instance, and um, that just every year renew their eligibility. And what we found after about two months of really trying to do telehealth appointments is they wanted to come back. There's high trust. Um, Our patients wanted to be seen. They wanted that relationship with their physician. Um, so that's really neat. About 40% of Americans in general have reported delaying care because of COVID, because of fear or putting off doctor's appointments or mammograms, things like that. It's more than half of that reduction. So it's, it's, you know, it's much lower of our patients. They wanted to come back. They wanted to be seen. So that's a blessing. When you think about the uh, age of, uh, like you said, many, you, you deal with a lot of adults, obviously, but you also have families of, of some children, and these are people that are working and, as you mentioned, are sometimes underemployed from the standpoint of not having uh, traditional health insurance plans with where they work. Then when you add to that the fact that many of them are in the entertainment or the uh, hospitality, rather, uh, sector. And we all know that those jobs just went south because many of the hotels shut down. Uh, So are you seeing a revival now of these people that were affected that way with uh, all of the, maybe the new growth that's happening? Are you seeing a change? You know, that's a great question. Um, 60% of our patients are in the same industry that they were pre-COVID. So that's good that they're um, you know, still employed and 
um, you know, maybe they had a reduction in hours or, a, you know, temporary, but we are seeing that they're going back to work. They're, um, you know, able to support themselves. Uh, but we're also seeing is that's, they're very fragile. Um, you know, they report, um, two-thirds report, you know, that they're somewhat concerned or very concerned that they're going to lose their jobs. So we serve the, the Alice population, which is asset-limited, income-constrained, employed people. Um, it's, a, it's a population defined by the heart of Florida United Way, and that's who we serve. And so the fragility of, of that patient population, you know, our patients, like I said, they, they can't have any insurance, including Medicaid or the Affordable Care Act, any insurance at all. We cannot do any reimbursing. Um, we are prohibited by statute to do any third-party billing, and they have to be living at or below 200% of the federal poverty level. That law um, allows for patient attestation, so a patient can come in and sign the forms. The doctors get medical malpractice coverage through the state of Florida, which is critical for our retired clinicians. Um, but we make them prove it. We're one of a handful of free or charitable clinics in the state of Florida that, that makes them prove their income. So we know exactly where they are. If we think that they can get a subsidy on the marketplace exchange, we, ha we won't take them. We have them meet with a navigator. So as a result, our patients are, you know, we know exactly where they are on, on the poverty scale. And we look at that every year. But they're very, very fragile. They're one one issue away from losing their home, losing their job, losing their car. So um, the fact that we can provide that medical stability and get the medications, um, mental health counseling, whatever is needed to keep them in their jobs, um, we're grateful and it's a privilege to do that. Talking today to Stephanie Garris and Stephanie is the executive director of the Grace Medical Home. And this is such a unique thing. I mean, they are open, as they, as you've heard her say, to people who are really not able traditionally or non-traditionally, for that matter, to get medical care. And that is something that's on the heart of every parent, for sure, when they've got their kids. And we all know how that is for children. So this is really a wonderful thing. We'll be back in a moment on location at Grace Medical Home with Stephanie Garris, my guest. We'll be back in a moment. I am back again on location at Grace Medical Home, and you know, this is really a surprising tour. I'm talking to Stephanie Garris, the executive director of Grace Medical, and you guys are like this massive communication hub of people coming in and out who are volunteering from all different types of backgrounds, be they doctors, be they dentists, uh, x-ray techs, uh, volunteers, uh, just seemingly flowing out of everywhere. And in a day and age like today where so many people uh, are, are kind of negative, there's kind of a, you know, we're coming out of this COVID uh, fog that's been affecting everybody for so long. You guys seemingly have found that secret sauce of, of volunteerism. And people are happy to give their time to come and to help or even some of the... Uh, one of the things I'd like for you to hit on first here is this whole thing about uh, kind of coordinating other services where if there's a place that needs a, a colonoscopy, for example, or uh, an MRI, you guys have a whole department that works with other 
facilities, other doctor's offices to provide that for your patients. And again, they are willing to do that for no cost at all to the patient. Well, that's right. And um, one of the things that I love about Grace is that we're very transparent. So we know the income that our patients earn annually. We know they don't have insurance. We look up, are they eligible for insurance? Um, Could they afford it? Can they get it through their job? Can they get a public insurance? And when, when we have that and we know where our patients are and that they're living here in our community, we can then have credibility and go to partners and say, please just do this one colonoscopy. Um, and, and by the time we've sent them to a referral, because we have so many volunteers and 35 in-house specialty clinics, we know that they need that. If, if they need a stress test, for instance, they've already seen the cardiologist here, and the cardiologist is deeply concerned there's, that there's a blockage or something like that. And so we can go to that place, that community partner, and say, please just do this one thing, colonoscopy, MRI, um, stress test, you know, things like that, um, and then send them back to us, and we'll get them to the next point of care. And we've built up a network where, um, where you know, people will do that for us. And I, I think it's, we live in a very benevolent community. I love Orlando. But it also makes financial sense. You know, they're they're going to end up at the hospital if we don't deal with that blockage in an artery. Um, they're they're going to end up sicker, um, more costly, and uh, the the medical community I think recognizes that. So if we can go upstream and address these issues upstream and say, hey, help us help us with the mammogram, and let's if it is cancer, let's get it early um, instead of you know the the suffering and the worsening condition if we don't deal with this. So I think it's also in the financial best interest of the community to partner with us, and and that's exactly what's happened. Now, you mentioned 35 clinics, if I heard you correctly, that are actually in-house here. So some of those would be like what we've talked about already with a heart. You have a cardiac clinic Mm -hmm. that actually... Uh, is again led by a, a doctor who specializes in in the, the the heart and that itself I mean is uh, that's a big thing to have people like that and so many of these doctors they volunteer every bit of what their services to you yeah. and what would be I think a, a fair question that a lot of people would have when they hear this they would say what is motivating all of these doctors who are already busy who are already maybe uh, working with trying to work around uh, all of the the stuff that happens with uh, their practices and and just the, the the litigation of so many patients they have all that on their mind the malpractice what is the motivation for them to want to say i want to give 10 hours a week of my life to grace? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think the answer is, the short answer is they get to practice medicine the way they were trained. We cannot bill insurance. And so our minimum patient visit time is 30 minutes. They don't have to argue with insurance companies. Um, they get to come here and develop a relationship with the patient. Most of our volunteers are retired or like the one you met on our tour, Dr. Walsh is internal medicine, but she's raising four kids. 
five kids. I think she had one last year. Um, so yeah, you know, she's home raising her kids, but wants to keep her license active. And so she is, so those are our two primary groups and students. We have a lot of student learning opportunities. So if people need clinical hours, for instance, if they're trying to become mental health counselors or social workers, they need to have clinical hours. So they come and, and get their clinical hours. But they want to be here. They Most of them are Christian. They want to be in a Christian setting. They have worked so hard if they're retired and they're so brilliant um, and they want to give back to their community. Maybe they didn't have time to do that when they were in private practice. So it's just a different way to practice medicine and to serve. And they get that malpractice protection through the state of Florida. We have the strongest uh, Good Samaritan law in the country, um, and we have a lot of retirees. So all of those factors, I think, can um, influence the number of volunteers, um, and they get to be here and serving patients and serving our communities. And and it's fun. It's it's a fun atmosphere. You know, when I think about medical missionary, I think that Grace is really doing that right here in in the Central Florida area. You guys are providing what would be for many people, and I know I've talked to a lot of doctors who've wanted to be a part of missionary trips to uh, maybe uh, down in South America or uh, Central America, and they'll go on these trips, maybe even to India, and they go to serve, and they'll some of them serve a couple of weeks, and they do it joyfully because it's exactly what you said. It's why they got into medicine to begin with, and they can practice the real heart of medicine without all of the other hoops that doctors so often have to jump through. So it, you guys are, are doing a real work of missions right here. Now, one of the other clinics that we walked through was so impressive. You have a complete dental lab and a dental uh, kind of uh, area of this beautiful building that you're in that uh, serves. And tell us a little bit about all of that. Um, yeah, I'll get to dental in one second, but to your earlier point, three out of our seven founding members of this organization are physicians, and you're exactly right. They would go on medical mission trips to other countries, and then in their own private practice, they wouldn't, patients wouldn't come because they lost their insurance. Maybe they lost their job. Um, something happened to their household income. And so you're exactly right. They they wanted to serve their community. So they, most of our doctors here are here because they want to do mission work, and they can do it right here in Central Florida. Um, our dental um, clinic is our biggest expansion when we moved into this building in 2019, and it has four operatories. And it's I have one dental director um, on staff. The rest are all students, pre-dental students, that come really from all over. A lot from UCF, but some from USF, UF, that are pre-dental students that, who drive here because they want the experience. They want to learn what the instruments do. They want to um, be with us and do the scheduling and talk to the patient about what's needed. And then it's all volunteer dental providers. So some are retired, but some are in private practice, and they may become one afternoon a month and leave their private practice and it's a state-of-the-art facility it's beautiful we have four operatories we do acute dental needs but restorative as well and the patients pay for that so if it's a crown you know we have deeply discounted labs um, but the patient pays for the lab fee for, for making the crown or things like that um, we honestly thought we would be open maybe three days a week the the volunteer dentists have really um 
shown up in an incredible way and we're open five days a week and then we give the space over twice a month to another organization the dental care access foundation and they serve the tri-county um, region for acute dental needs so we love our dental center one thing that i saw on the tour and heard from you because i'm looking around everything in this building is it looks new number one it looks top notch number two and it looks very up-to-date. And you mentioned that so much of what is in this building has been donated from different organizations. How did all of that come about? Yeah, so I, you know, Christ's name is on our wall. I mean, every room, every exam room has a Bible verse, you know. Um, This place is supposed to reflect God's love. So why shouldn't it be beautiful? Why shouldn't our patients have a beautiful building where they're cared for um, in in just profound ways and such high quality um, medical care? But and people want to be a part. Um, so this artwork, we have, um, you know, one of our uh, board members is an artist. So a lot of the artwork she just did because she loves this place. Um, this one is uh, called Moses, um, and I just love that you can see crosses and in, in the in the painting that she did. So, you know, it's just a lot of people coming together, um, wanting to be a part. The community re- responding. We're a five hundred one c three, and there's so many worthy nonprofits in this community, and we have a, a loyal base of donors who um, want to support us. So it's it's been incredible, and we're very proud of the building. Medicine being what it is, you also have an organization uh, and, again, run by just amazing, by the doctors as as well as other volunteers that help people who couldn't afford the high cost of prescription drugs. But but you guys have found a way that you're able, within the laws of Florida and keeping up to date on all of that, you found a way to serve the prescription needs of your patients as well. Explain that. Yeah, so one of our biggest challenges, and and you mentioned it earlier, why did the volunteer doctors come? It's because we've figured out to get them what they need. We're not going to, we don't want to tie their hands. You know, if they know that they need a hypertensive medication to get a uncontrolled um, blood pressure under control, we need to get them that medication. But it's complex. So we have a pharmacy tech on staff. If you've heard those commercials, if you can't afford this medication, ask your doctor, maybe we can help. Um, First of all, many doctors don't know that patient assistance programs exist um, and they're hard to navigate. Pharmaceutical companies have um, different applications and we do all that paperwork for them. So if you qualify to be a patient of grace, you qualify for some pharmaceutical assistance, but like I said, it's tricky to navigate. So we do all that paperwork for them. We apply to the um, manufacturer, the drug manufacturer, and we get free medications um, for a year. And there are also two national nonprofits that if the the pharmaceutical companies have medications that are going to expire in six to 12 months, they'll donate it and push it out so it doesn't go to waste. And so we go in and we take advantage of that and order what we need. So both of those programs, um, and then what's donated locally through for over-the-counter medications, churches will help us. Advent Health is a great partner. They'll help us do a supply drive. Um, 
those three things, we pretty much have the pharmaceuticals that we need, and it's $4 million a year in donated medications that we get our patients, all free of charge. Have you done, I'm sure you have, a like an annual look at if this were a, a business that was a, a profit business, which obviously you're not, but if it were, I mean, you're in the multiple millions of dollars of budget a year, right? Um, our budget is three and a half million, and we return back well over eight million dollars in donated care. Um, I can't give you the exact figure because if we send a partner, excuse me, a patient out to one of our community partners, sometimes we don't know everything that they may do for them. We get the records, um, but it's at least eight million dollars in donated care. So we like to think we're a pretty good return on investment. Definitely, and it is so great. And one of the things that uh, in in uh, we are going to spend our, our third segment with you as well because this is just too good. I still have so many things to ask you about. But when I was taking the walking tour with you, there was no shortage of smiles in this building. People really love to work here. What do you attribute that for? Um, I have thirty five staff members. Um, some are part-time, most are full-time, and I think the bottom line is everybody loves Jesus, and we sign a statement of faith when you're employed here, and we get to serve um, one big God and incredible patience. So I think our culture, we work a lot on it and make sure that, um, you know, our employees are happy and that it's a healthy work-life balance, but I, I think that's the bottom line. Everybody here loves Jesus. What a wonderful place to work for those that are getting to practice. You know, I, we, we laugh often about doctors, uh, their, the name of their service is a practice, and that's what they're doing. They're practicing, and you are giving doctors an opportunity to do what they love to do, get better at doing what they do, and have experience that they would not have necessarily had in other, for especially young doctors who are growing and learning and they get to work alongside some of your seasoned volunteers all of that works together for them making them a better physician right that's right i mean and you're exactly right our younger physicians or we have a lot of pre-med students or medical school students who will rotate through our clinic and they've never seen this in fact one uh one student at ucf was doing her pediatric rotation here and she said i love this place she she had been in five other practices doing these rotations and she said you're so different from the other five and I said I finally said well what is it why are we different and she said when the patient comes here you try to do everything for them you get them their medication if they need an immunization you do that for them if you're scheduling a, a, you know a, something in the community you do that while they're here because we know it's a hardship for our patients to get here to take time off for work to come to the doctor's office she said nobody else d does that um, they they you know they're billing insurance and they'll they'll reschedule another appointment another appointment and things like that and she said you're doing something for the patient because it's in their best interest and I think that says it says it all. It's it's a great place to be, and we need plenty of volunteers. So anybody with a clinical license is welcome here um, to be a clinical volunteer. But we also have administrative needs as well. If you're interested, just please go to our website, gracemedicalhome.org. We'll be back with Stephanie Garris one more time. Don't go away. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on the Shepherd. 
I have so enjoyed my tour today and doing a, a radio program uh, on location is such a fun and uh, different thing. And I'm in the office of Stephanie Garris. She's the executive director of one of the most unique medical establishments I've ever seen. It's called Grace Medical Home. And it's right in downtown Orlando on Concord, just a little bit south of Colonial Drive, really, in Coy, what used to be called Colonial Town. Uh, and it is a beautiful area. You're right here, walking distance of shopping centers and uh, all sorts of things. And this is where people can come who are at that uh, point that you were talking about, the poverty level where they could not get medical care from any other place. They don't have insurance. And somehow you guys with the heart and vision that is nothing less than amazing to me. You've put together an organization, and it's. I, I feel like you're almost like a nerve center here. You've got you've got tributaries running <laughs> every direction. You've got people. You've got organizations. You've got volunteers. You've got professionals that are coming in and going, and more medical directors and are, are uh, directors of different agencies than I can even keep up with. But a couple of things we want to hit in this segment. First of all, I love the name, and you mentioned that you've got scripture on the wall, one of which is the name itself, Grace. Obviously, that comes at uh, really no accident at all. The whole thing about the grace of God is really at the core of what you're doing, right? That's exactly right. Um, our founding Bible verse is Hebrews twelve fifteen. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And um, that's what our founders and our, our board of directors to this day is committed to. And so, um, so that really drives us. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And you've also got a, a room. And when we took the tour, I was just blessed. It's not a huge room. But it's a room that is comforting to people. It's a, like a small chapel room that you go, and people really do get there just to get alone and maybe get their sort, their their thoughts sorted out, and uh, whether they're patients or whether they're volunteers, it's open to them. Yeah. So we have a, a group of volunteers called Spiritual Care Ambassadors, and typically they're pastors, but you don't have to be. It's just strong in your faith and wanting to, um, you know, help point our patients to Christ if they don't have a relationship with him. And so, you know, a lot of things happen here. They've, we've got mental health counseling. Maybe they get a bad diagnosis, um, and then they're in a crisis situation. And so to have a room um, with a volunteer who can pray over them and help them, um, it's such a blessing. But what I didn't realize, it, it, as you say, it's a small room. There's like two small sofas in there. We've got Bible we've got scripture cards. I don't think I realize how much our staff would need that. Um, going through personal losses, maybe a death in the family or or their own, you know, burdens that they're carrying. So um, a lot of tears and a lot of prayers happen in that room. You know, one thing that is very clear to me that with the level of volunteerism that you have here, they're doing it. These people who are volunteering, they're medical professionals, doctors, nurses, uh, clinicians, uh, people who are techs, they're all here. They're all volunteering, and they're doing it not for money. They're doing it because they care. And because they care, there's compassion that sometimes uh, just can't help but spill out when you're dealing with people. And maybe sometimes some of those diagnoses are difficult ones. 
And it, it, uh, it's not just like, well, that, I'm sorry about that. It causes a lot of emotion, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, you know, almost by definition, clinicians are caregivers and they're, they're serving, um, you know, a patient population that is truly disenfranchised. Our patients come on average 13 times a year and they remain a patient for two years on average. Um, and they're medically complex. And so if it's a rough diagnosis, um, whatever it may be, you know, there's, there's just a lot of heartache. There's a lot of compassion fatigue from our staff and volunteers. But that's why we put our hope in Christ. And so if we're able to, you know, just have one patient um, develop a relationship with Christ, then we've done our job. We think that there's a lot more than that, um, students as well. But, um, yeah, we, we just all feel that we're the same at the foot of the cross. And, you know, we're so blessed by God's grace shown to us, and we want to show that grace to others. So, yeah, a lot of compassion, um, but a lot of joy. A lot of uh, cancers that are found early and, you know, or medical conditions stabilized. Um, people go on to have, you know, healthy jobs, healthy lives, healthy families, and uh, so a lot of joy as well. One of the things that I didn't expect when I saw it here today is a whole area that you have for helping people who are uh, who are in need of food. And you've become like a food pantry for your patients as well. And again, keeping in step with all the other excellent things that I've seen here, your whole kitchen area and the food pantry area stocked with big commercial-like refrigerators for perishable foods. Uh, how does all of that work out with your patients? So our practice had a profound change in about 2015. Um, Robert Wood Johnson came out with a study that said um, access to care and quality of care, it's important, but it only impacts about 20% of a person's health. 20%. And we know we provide access to people who don't have it and the highest quality medical care. But again, it's only 20% of a person's health. 30% of a person's health is their personal choices. You know, what you eat, how you prepare foods, do you smoke, do you, you know, use drugs. I mean, healthy behavior, lifestyle choices. And then 40% that impacts health is the social determinants that you hear about, where you live. So do you have sidewalks that you can take walks on? Do you have access to healthy foods? Things like that. And that was a profound change that our providers, you know, would come out of exam rooms and they would say, well, I can give them their medication or I can get, send them to this consult, but they can't get to the appointment to get the colonoscopy or to, to get the stress test. They, they, they can't do that. Or, you know, if there's a $20 copay for something, they can't do that because they can't keep food on the table. And that's their priority is keeping food on the table. So, you know, our doctors would walk out of the exam room frustrated and saying, you know, this has nothing to do with medicine, but everything to do with health. And so we started surveying our patients and we found out that 40% were food insecure. And so it took some time. We needed to get some funding and get some you know, the food pantry in place, storage, get, you know, all the correct storage dimensions that are required from Second Harvest Food Bank. And we were able to become a food pantry. So we're considered a closed food pantry, meaning that it's only open to our patients. 
we're a doctor's office, so we can't open our pantry to the public and having them come in and out. Plus, we it's not a very large pantry. Um, but we do healthy food drive-throughs in our parking lot for our patients who are at risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, and we're, we equip them. We give them the healthy food, and we teach them how to prepare it. Um, and we believe that that's leading to you know better health over the long term, that upstream approach to medicine. Wow, it is so cool to see the, I believe, innovations that you guys have brought about. And I think people who just drive by this building would have no idea of all that's going on inside of it or the ministry that is happening. Uh, it, it is really clear to see that people are joyful. People are excited to be here. Uh, this It's almost like you've got more volunteers than just about any organization I've ever seen. I, I think that may well be a true statement on my part. I don't know that I've, I can't think of anything that's more uh, expansive than what you guys have done. So congratulations on that. One other department that I saw, and, and then we're, we'll head into a few questions for you, was the whole lab thing. And that's something that's grown a lot. Uh, obviously, the, the need for testing over the years, uh, medical testing, what one can diagnose from a simple blood test. Uh, and so you guys have a, a wonderfully professional area for that. Yep, we have a lab director and Orlando Health and Advent Health rotate and do our labs for free. They rotate weeks. So I honestly don't know which hospital is doing our labs this week. Um, but to your earlier question, Mike, um, I th again, I think that's one of the reasons why our volunteers love to be here is we're not going to hamper them. It, you know, if they need a diagnostic, a lab di diagnostic, a imaging diagnostic, we're going to find a way to get it for them so they can continue on and providing the care that patient needs. So we love our lab. It's a great, great service to our patients. Well, you've been here now since September of 19, and uh, all of this is going on. It's beautiful. Uh, what are you seeing for 2022 for you and the staff here that you have, not only the paid staff, but the many, many volunteers? Are there any new directions that Grace Medical Home is going to be going? We are so excited. That's like my favorite question to answer because um, we have secured the funding to uh, purchase a mobile outreach, a mobile medical van, um, where we can go into communities. You know, for two years, we haven't been able to go out into the community. It's been sort of interior focused because of COVID and, you know, just trying to provide care, you know, to our patients in need. And so we're really excited. We're going to design and build a, a medical van and, and go out to communities, especially for those patients who have, um, transportation barriers you know if we can go out and do a home visit or a lab appointment in the van or you know register them at which we do every year as a patient whatever it may be mental health counseling if we can go to them go to their neighborhood maybe partner with a church um, have you know do outreach events for prospective patients we're excited to do that so that's going to be the next thing on the horizon look out for the grace medical home van in the community oh that is such a wonderful thing and you know you mentioned the word or the phrase good samaritan earlier i think of the good samaritan and the story that we read about in the bible when i look at your facility because you guys are not only caring for people, but you're putting your own expenses. These people that are volunteering, they're putting their own time on the table, and they're actually doing what the Good, what the good Samaritan did in the Bible by paying for the care, paying for the expenses. You guys are doing that.
that, and that is just an amazing thing. Now, we know that you mentioned that some patients do pay for some services, but most of it is uh, it's well below what it, it actually costs. And I know that there are things that you need as a medical center uh, in an ongoing basis, on a yearly basis. So uh, what can people do? How can our listeners, how can people who are business owners get involved and help Grace Medical? Um, there are so many ways to get involved. Um, we talked about clinical volunteering or administrative volunteering, but just praying. I mean, that's one of our biggest needs, um, to just pray for us, that uh, God continues to provide the resources that we need. Um, we laugh because, you know, we always want to grow and there's always more that we can do. So, um, you know, that that's clear what what that path looks like for future growth. So praying would be great. Um, you know, we do have to raise every dollar that we spend. And so I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, donations like any 501c3. So uh, just lots of ways to get involved. We also love to have people come for a tour. So if you're um, wanting to learn more or to see the facility, um, please contact me. Uh, my contact information is on our website. Just Google Grace Medical Home, and we'd love to have you tour and uh, learn more about us. Stephanie Garris, thank you so much for the tour. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the excellent ministry that is going out of Grace Medical Home in Orlando. And it's really been a delight for me to be here in your office on location here with my program today. So thank you again. Thank you so much, Mike. Wonderful to be with you again. And thanks for helping spread the word about the work we do. We're so grateful. And friends, we thank you for being with us. We'll catch you next time right here on Afternoons with Mike. <music>